Super nervous. <laughs> uh, but let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, we thank you for all of the many things that you did in 2017. And Lord, we thank you for all of the amazing things that you have in store for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that it is alive. And um, we know that you want to speak to us this morning. Lord, we pray that... Um, as we receive what you have for us, that you would let, or that we would allow it, that we would let it to transform us um, from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage of scripture today will be coming from the book of John. Um, so John is one of the many books found in the New Testament, but one of the four gospels. Um, in the gospels, we read about Jesus's work done here on earth. Um, John is commonly referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The book of John can be viewed as having two sections, the first being the telling of Jesus' public ministry while on earth, and the second being devoted to Passover weekend um, when Jesus gave his life for the world. As I've studied the book of John, um, one thing that has really stuck out to me is John's reverence for the Lord. Early on, John says, look, the Lamb of God is coming. He testifies that Jesus is indeed the chosen one of God. Um, John tells us that this book was written so that many would believe. It's no secret that during Jesus' public ministry, many trusted Jesus and wanted to follow him, while others falsely accused him of wrongdoings or mocked his ministry. Um, today's passage of scripture will be coming from John 9, at a point in Jesus' ministry where things were heightened, um, many Samaritans had already begun to believe, while others were astonished by his miraculous signs. Um, some were disgruntled and confused by his teachings. Um, Jesus has declared multiple times that he is the I am. Crowds were being divided and challenged in their faith, while many others, primarily the religious leaders, were busy plotting his death. Um, so one way that we give reverence to the Lord here at Crestmont is by standing for the reading of the word. Um, so to shed light on how tense things were, um, we're going to start reading in John chapter 8, verse 58. Um, so I, because this passage is a little bit longer, um, please feel free to stand or sit, um, whatever you are most comfortable with. Um, so I'll start reading in John 8, um, 58. It says this, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of shalom. This word means sent. 
So the man went and washed and came home saying, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah um, would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening or excuse me, no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You may take your seats. So this chapter is loaded. Um, this morning my plan is to share some of what the Lord has laid on my heart as it relates to this passage of scripture. So if I had to give this message a title, it would be Walking into the Light. Um, my first point, point this morning is simply this. Jesus pursues and chooses ordinary people so that his work may be revealed in them. 
how do we know this? Well, early on in the chapter, we see Jesus and his disciples fleeing from an intense situation. He sees a blind man sitting on the side of the road begging. Jesus chooses to heal this man so that the works of God will be revealed in him. We didn't read this this morning, but by the end of the chapter, we see Jesus' relentless pursuit of the man. After he was thrown out of the temple, Jesus pursues him. Scripture says he found him. Um, that lets us know that he went looking after the man. Have you ever felt insignificant as if your life doesn't matter or if you've been forgotten? Um, this morning, I want to remind you that we serve a God that chooses ordinary people. Um, the man in today's passage of scripture was blind. He was known as the town beggar. He, he certainly wasn't considered important. I'm sure he often, you know, was scoffed at or looked down upon, but Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him so that the works of God would be revealed in him. This man born blind was healed. That's a miracle in and of itself. But why was this man healed? He was healed so that the works of God would be revealed in him. I bet if we were to take a poll um, in this room this morning saying, who, is, who in here is going through something that they don't understand, we'd all probably say yes to some degree. Oftentimes I find myself asking, why? Why did this have to happen? Why am I going through this? Why does it have to happen this way? Surely, there's another way, right? Um, if you find yourself asking some of the questions that I too ask myself, here's the answer that I've been given. I know that what you're going through doesn't make much sense, but you're going through this so that I may be glorified. Your current pain isn't for you. It's for the next person. Because of what you're going through, you will be able to shed light into someone else's situation, and it'll be more credible because you've gone through the same thing. And in light of that, I will be glorified. Oftentimes, we curse our pain. We curse our broken and messed up situations. But I think it's important that we begin to remember what Paul writes in the book of Romans. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Stephen Furnick once said, God positions you not according to your preference, but according to his purposes. After that, the man had been healed, or excuse me, after the man had been healed several times, um, neighbors began to question, was it really him who had been sitting and begging? You know, many doubted, but he kept saying that it was indeed him. Some translations say he kept on insisting that it was him. Isn't that interesting? You know, similar to Jesus' story, no one believed that it was him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he had to continue insisting that I am the I am. His neighbors then took him to the Pharisees, not because he had been healed, but because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Throughout the text, the word Pharisees and Jewish leaders are often interchanged. When it says Jewish leader, it's also referring to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of Jewish leaders that were known for their strict observance of the written law. They were known for their religious pride. Um, upon arrival, the Pharisees immediately began questioning him, trying to get to the bottom of what had happened. 
In verse 16, we see many believed while others couldn't go, get over the fact um, that it could not have been Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath. But who has the power to do such miraculous signs? Um, the Pharisees still in unbelief asked the man yet again, what happened? Who do you say that this man is that healed you? Um, the Jewish leaders refused to believe so much so that they sent word for the man's parents to come and state whether he had been born blind, and if so, state how he was now able to see. His parents, they respond out of fear. See, at this point in history, many were terrified of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of being expelled from the synagogue. When they were questioned, their response was this, he is old enough, ask him. His parents were afraid of man. Unfortunately, this is where they found their worth and their identity. So the Jewish leaders asked again, making a mockery out of Jesus this time, saying, God should get the glory for this because we know um, this man, Jesus, is a sinner. At this point, the blind man was getting frustrated, as anybody would. They had him on trial asking the same question. Who healed you? How did he heal you? Um, his response this time wasn't nearly as warming. He says, I don't know whether or not he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. The man even goes as far as the challenging their faith. He says, I told you once, didn't you listen to me? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? The Jewish leaders cursed the man saying, you were his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. The man calls that strange, saying, he healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He is ready to hear those who worship him and who will do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. This portion of scripture ends with the Jewish leaders stating that the man was born a total sinner challenging his identity and throwing him out of the synagogue. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply this passage of scripture to our lives? Um, this brings me to my second point this morning. It's simply this, we respond. You know, we can choose to walk in the light or we can walk in darkness. Um, this passage lays out three different responses. So we can choose to believe that and we see that modeled by the blind man. Um, here's how we know he chose to believe. John 9:11 says, "The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, "Go to the pool and wash yourself." So I washed and now I can see." Then in John 9:17, he, he responds with this, "I think he must be a prophet." Later he says, "I don't know whether he is a sinner or not." but I was blind and now I can see. So I can surely attest to this man's story. Um, early on in my walk with Christ, I was blind to the deceptive tricks of the enemy. I'd believe lies and fall into just a state of hopelessness. Um, this would oftentimes last for months or for weeks. 
until I started to recognize what was happening. I started to notice a pattern. I began taking my thoughts captive. I began trusting the Lord in the midst of what I thought was a hopeless situation. I started believing his truth for myself. So my eyes were opening. The spirals that once took months or weeks to get out of eventually took days and then hours. Um, You know, I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. This section of scripture ends with him saying, he healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He is ready to hear those who worship him and who will do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. Throughout this passage of scripture, we see his faith rising to the point that he is willing to risk it all. He was willing to be abandoned by his community and his family for the sake of Christ. He knew that his identity was found in someone greater, in Christ alone. He chose to walk in the light, or we can choose to walk in fear. We see that modeled by the man's parents. John 9, 20 says, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to respond for himself. They responded this way because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. See, the difference between the man's faith and his parents is that they weren't strong enough to act with courage. Their identity hadn't been formed in Christ. It was formed in man. They walked in fear. They were seeking after man's approval. I'm sure they loved their son, but they were more afraid of what would happen if they claimed Jesus. Our Savior wants to dismantle fear this morning. He doesn't want us to walk in fear we see that all over, all over scripture. For example, he tells us in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Unfortunately, his parents chose to walk in darkness. Or lastly, we can choose to walk in unbelief. And we see that modeled by the Pharisees. Scripture tells us that the Pharisees interrogated the man multiple times, then they began interrogating his parents. One of their reasons in doing so is because they needed a case against Jesus. Earlier on, we can see that this miracle caused division among the leaders. In order for there to have been a worthy case, many of the religious leaders had to be on the same page. Um, The Pharisees confessed that they were disciples of Moses. They were believers of the law, often studying it more than the commoner. John 5, regarding the Pharisees, says, "You, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The Pharisees knew that God had revealed his will through Moses. If they'd believed and understood what Moses wrote, they would have grasped that he was speaking of Jesus. Even the blind man finds this remarkable. Jesus performs an unbelievable miracle of healing, and they can't decide where he comes from. The Pharisees were so consumed by the law that they missed the point. They were picking and choosing 
what they wanted to believe. And if we're honest, we do that too. We pick and choose what's convenient for us. Unfortunately, they were walking in unbelief. Similar to the man's parents, they too chose to walk in darkness. So Joel introduced four questions to us a few weeks ago. Um, Before taking my seat, I'd like to answer those questions for us in response to John 9. So who is God? Well, God is healer. But it's deeper than that. God is great and glorious. Remember the scriptures say, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And how? How could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. All of this points directly to Jesus, who has the power to do something to that magnitude. So who am I? I am a living testimony. (laughs) So I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you are a living testimony. One more time. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you are a living testimony. Now, now, with the same faith that you just told your neighbor that, I want you to speak that over yourself. I want to hear you. Say it. I am a living testimony. See, here's the thing. The enemy wants you to believe that you're a mistake and that what you're going, what you're going through is a trap but it isn't. It's part of your testimony. In the kingdom, there are no mistakes, and our master only creates masterpieces. So receive that for yourself this morning. I'm not a mistake. I was created by a master who only creates masterpieces. See, when we start to believe the lie that says that we're mistakes or that we're failures or that our lives are accidents, We've already, without saying it, began to doubt God. We've started speaking things against his character. So the next time someone looks down on your character or challenges your identity, I want to encourage you to look him or her in the face and tell them who you are in Jesus' name. (laughs) On this side of heaven, We experience the things we experience so that his work would be made manifested in our lives. And sometimes our human eyes can only see the mess. Um, A pastor who I really respect once said, when God invades our lives, it's deeply disruptive, but ultimately joyful. Let me say that again. When God invades our lives, It's deeply disruptive, but ultimately joyful, which means it's hard, but there's hope, and it's for our benefit. So here's my encouragement to you. Continue to look up to him. Continue to trust his promises. Continue to recklessly abandon everything your culture tells you you need, and continue to stand firm. So what is God saying to us? I firmly believe that God is telling us to trust him this morning. We're safe in the palm of his hands. You know, it may not always be comfortable, um, and it may not go the way we've planned it, um, 
but we're safe with him and we can trust him. So when things are falling apart or when things are falling together, um, he is good and can be trusted. You know, the conversation between the man and Jesus in the beginning of verse chapter, or in the beginning verses of chapter nine was very short, um, but there was a softness there, a gentle exchange that occurred that left the man without any doubts on whether or not he should trust Jesus. If the worship team could come up. So our last question is, what am I going to do about it? You know, we can um, choose to walk in light or walk in darkness. So that's the invitation. We've all been invited to walk in the light of his glorious grace. So if you're sitting here today and you've never accepted the invitation to walk in the light, you'd like to trust him, but need some instructions on how, um, then I want to challenge you to come to the altar at the end of the service. Um, some of my friends will be up here later and they'd love to answer any questions that you have. Um, if you're sitting here today and you've already accepted the invitation to walk in his glorious grace or the light, then we trust him. Um, I've already given you one tangible way um, to show that you trust God. You look adversity in the face and you tell it what you are in Jesus' name. Remember, you're a living testimony. You're an overcomer and you are a child who's loved by a gracious God. Um, here are two other ways. You tell people how good God has been to you. You remember. Um, I love the Psalms for that reason. You know, many times we see David reflecting on how good God has been. In Psalm 13, um, verses 5 and 6, it says, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David says, you rescued me. He's remembering something there. So we remember just how good he's been to us. And then my personal favorite is this. We worship. We can learn this from the blind man too. After he confessed that he believed in Jesus, he worshiped. We're actually going to do a little bit of that this morning. Um, here's the thing. If God is great and glorious, then he is indeed worthy to be praised. Remember, David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Let me tell you something. The background behind Psalm 13 wasn't this beautifully scripted psalm out of a place of things having fallen together. It came out of a time of deep pain and anguish. David felt forgotten. He felt defeated. Um, feelings that I'm sure the blind man felt and feelings that I'm sure we too go through, um, sometimes more often than we'd like. But we can't allow our circumstances to paralyze us. We can't walk around numbing the pain or living in fear. We have to do something greater. We have to trust him. We have to worship him. He wants to overwhelm us with his love. He wants us to find rest in him and in him alone. He's good. He's so, so good. Um, so Tim is going to come up in a moment um, to close the service. 
But before he does, we're going to spend some time in worship. Um, sometimes in light of what's going on, whether good or bad, we must praise him. There's a gospel song that says, sometimes you have to praise your way through. Sometimes life isn't about waiting for the storm to be over. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. As we step into this new year, I want to challenge you to let praise and worship be your weapon for warfare as you learn.